I just want to make a call to anybody who wants to have an impact that the idea is if you get a team with those characteristics, we want to show that, yeah, it's possible. There's luck, there's timing, there's tons of hard work. Then it's beyond fulfilling that we can do something, right? For what we're doing with Tai Power, we can see our products in the streets of Taiwan. That's very interesting. This is Startup Island Taiwan. Everything about Taiwan and cutting-edge technology, startup unicorns, and connections to the world. Hello, welcome to the Startup Island podcast. My name is John with Asianometry, the Asianometry YouTube channel. I have here today Clem, VP of Sales and Marketing from Ubik. Thank you for coming today. Hi, thanks for having me. I'll get just started first by telling us about uh, Ubik. Can you tell us a little bit about this company? Sure. So Ubik is a Taiwanese company started as a startup being bootstrapped. We're about now 85 people. What is special with it is that we are at the intersection of telecom and energy. A very kind of nerdy, geeky topic, but very applied to everybody's lives. So what we are really doing is actually is IoT solutions to support the energy transition. Smart grids, smart meters, PV panels, batteries, EV chargers, all those objects we don't make as a company, but we will help to connect them, to monitor and to control them. Mm. So more recently, there's a push for renewables. There's a push for more and more connected devices. Here, I'm not talking about my smartphone. I'm not talking about internet or VR, actually. I'm talking about industrial concrete objects that gain to become more now monitored and controlled. Because if you can measure, you can optimize. If you cannot measure, then there's no way you can optimize that. So that's what really Ubik is doing. But what is special with those IoT solutions we are contributing is that we use very specific new technologies that did not exist before to make those things happen. That's why we are the intersection of telecom and mostly apply to energy, energy transition and smart grids. Our main customers are utilities and our telecom operators. So as an example, our customer in Taiwan is Taiwan Power, Tai Power. So they came up with a tender with the goal to monitor and control the next generation of power meters that are installed in homes, commercial buildings, industrial buildings. So we stepped up among other vendors and we use actually our own technology to contribute a total solution, which fast forward to now after several years of testing and deployment, we are leading that market to create basically a telecom network for type power for the use of those smart meters. So was the, the so the company started off bootstrapped, right? Yeah. How did they come up with this? Did they have a background in this sort of technology or in this industry before? You know what? Not really. Yeah, I think that's the story general of startups. You come up with one plan and then nothing happens according to that plan. So you have to pivot or at least be nimble and flexible. I think that is a, probably a common thread into most of the startup stories. I'm not sure I know companies that eventually went all according to it. So here's how it went. We wanted to contribute new telecom technologies because we felt that there was applications out there that did not have a fitting solution for it. So at the beginning, Ubik was made to become a technology supplier make new technology, provide it to other companies that then would integrate that to create new solutions. Mm. Well, the reality is that it's not easy to make a living doing that. 
And especially in the industry of telecommunications, you have so many standards. So standards are very complicated in industry. You know, everybody heard about uh, VHS, DVDs, Blu-rays. So you always have to make a choice. So for telecom, it's even more complicated. You have tons of standards, new ones that are added to rule the other ones. But when you're a small company, you don't have a lot of marketing dollars to make that happen. So we did a lot of pilots with many partners around the world. But being a bootstrap company was very challenging for us to eventually make a living out of that. So then the second aspect of startup life enters. You need luck and timing. Luck and timing came from Taipar. The Taipar in 2017-ish came out and said, I have an open tender. It's basically like open innovation, but it's a tender. So very rigorous, very codified. And what was special with this is Taipar said, this is the solution I'm looking for. I pretty much don't care what's the name of the technology and how you do it. However, I will test it for a year and it needs to pass my requirements. But once you pass it, I bless it and we can go ahead and roll it and deploy that. So that's how you may actually switch as a strategy, as a startup from technology provider into a solution provider. In that case here, it didn't matter what the name of the technology was. It was more like you have a solution. It is solving a problem. It is doing it well at cost and it can scale, then you're in business. Now, when you do sell a solution, actually your contribution is higher because you are doing a total thing. Actually, the business model that's happening between us and Typeower as an open tender is kind of like a telecom operator. So Typeower says for the next six years, you guys, you big, you deploy, you maintain this network. So they pay us a fee just like you would pay a subscription for your phone every month, except maybe for us, for them, it's every year. That's what's really special about our startup story. Never goes according to plan. So what specifically was that original first tender that Ubiq won? Like what solution are you looking to solve? So we have to go into the next level of details here, which is the topic is called advanced metering infrastructure. Hmm. Every cities, countries and territories of the world are actually involved with it. Either they haven't started yet or they started decades ago and then they have to renew this. If you go back to, let's say, in the Middle Ages, you had a mechanical meter. So you have uh, water, gas, electricity. In some places where it's cold, you have heat meters as well. And the whole point is that until nowadays, somebody from a utility would drive down your home and every month or every two months, read what's written on the meter, put it on a piece of paper and go back to its office and then bill you, which is good for billing. But nowadays, when you do have a lot of renewables and EV chargers installed, PV panels on top of your home and so on and so forth, you need to have a bit more granularity of that information, not just for billing, but for a whole bunch of applications when you have to manage the smart grid and the energy transition with renewables. So enter smart metering. After that middle age, which Taipor in Taiwan, we have been in there for some time. You had kind of like a version two of metering, which was drive-by. So you would have a guy from the utility driving down a truck. And when he's driving, then he will catch the meter reading. So that was basically version two. It's kind of automatic, but it's only when a guy is driving. And it's probably not every hour, right? It's going to be at best a few times a month. So version three is called advanced metering infrastructure, which is the real thing. So now you have basically a modem connected to the power meter or the gas or water meter. And that modem will send information several times a day, even for a case of electricity, 
several times an hour. Mm. So that's what Thai Power has implemented. Now, the Thai Power engineers have been very smart about this, actually. And I got to tell you that everybody has a prejudice about utilities. You know, in France, we have a big utility and everybody rolls their eyes when we talk about that. I think every country in the world is like this. So when I was telling my friends or investors that we want to work with the utility in Taiwan, I see the eyes rolling. Ah, Well, actually, I'll tell you, those guys have been very thorough and smart about the way they dimension a system that was actually different from what the rest of the world pretty much was doing. I'll put it simply. Until recently, when you have a smart meter, the connectivity would be hard embedded into that device. Mm. So they will take a Bluetooth chip, they'll take Wi-Fi chip, they'll take a SIM card for 2G, 3G, 4G, they'll put all of that into the power meter. Then that power meter gets installed for the next 20 years. Mm. Here comes the issues then. When there is connectivity issue, how do you know what's wrong? Is it the meter? Is it the SIM card? Is it the chip? Is it the coverage? It's very difficult to figure that one out. Mm. So a solution that partially has been implemented and thought of very well by the type power guys was to make a modular meter. You have a slot and a module in which you put that modem. And if that modem doesn't work, then you just replace it. In this way, you don't have to take the whole meter shut down the power from the poor guy in his home, then bring it back to your lab and fix it. All you have to do is go there and hot swap. So that's a very elegant and enduring way to solve those limitations. The other aspect to this is that Type Power has divided what usually people would have as to one single tender into three tenders. One is for the meter only, the device. One is for the communication network which is you deploy base stations, you install those power meters, and you have a middleware software that gets all of that connected to the third part of that tender, which is the CRM, the bidding system. This is important because this applies to many other industrial projects. The key here is that if you're a utility or industrial, when you're doing projects that are going to last 10, 15, 20 years, you don't want necessarily to be stuck to one vendor or one technology doesn't sound future-proof, doesn't sound safe, and doesn't sound like you'll get the best cost out of it as you go down, right? Exactly. So it's actually super smart to make it like this because it's, in a way, open innovation every year. Well, new technologies come on. We will test it. We'll put that in the field. Worse, it doesn't work. We'll just hot swap everything. And then we'll take a technology that works and put it instead. On the same time, type or whoever industrial, for this kind of thinking, when you have modular connectivity, you can command a better cost because you're not stuck. Yeah. So these are some of the reasons of why I think type has done was very smart. And to conclude on that, I will say that more and more of other utilities in the world are actually looking at the way that system has been engineered. But of course, you know, this is a summary of many years of iterations, trials and, and failures. But uh, so far, it's running like a charm and it's being a source of inspiration for other utilities and industrials. Wow. So Ubi has basically built a network, a mini telecom of its own sorts. Am I understanding this right? Yes, I know it sounds crazy. I never thought we would be doing this. But I guess that's what happens when you're doing startup stuff and you have a big ambition. We wanted to father a new technology because we had a feeling that for some of those future applications, existing technologies were not going to cut it. At the end of the day, it's all about product to market fit. You have a number of technologies, but it's not about technologies. It's got to be always about solutions. Right. So you got to come up with a problem 
and find a solution for it. As opposed to force-feeding customers or entities with an existing technology just for the sake of it. That doesn't work long-term. What has been some of the kind of the challenges in engineering or structuring some of these technologies behind these solutions? Can you talk a little bit about that? There are many, many challenges in the topic of IoT. This uh, has been a huge hype for the past eight years-ish. Everybody has seen data, the statistics, the forecast, you know, people talking about 50 billion devices by the year, I don't know what, and so on and so forth, right? That is a typical case of hype. You know, you had um, mobile, everybody understand, yeah, this is great. You had the cloud, big data, everybody got that. And then you have IoT, a lot of disappointments. The key takeaway about that, in generally speaking for now, is in the world of IoT, one size does not fit all. Mm. You don't have one operating system. You don't have one way to solve something. You don't have one app for that. Actually, it depends on your industry, depends on your region. So it is by actually design, by definition, it is fragmented. So if your market and industries are fragmented, your solutions have to also be. So for a few years, a lot of people, you know, sank their teeth into that and I think had a lot of difficulties because of their arms around that concept very well. So the challenge is here is to basically refrain from what is typical from us engineers is to come up with technologies and then sell that technology. Refrain from that and become more technology agnostic, even though we may create our own. At the end of the day, what matters to people is solutions. So that we live through this in our own life at UBIC. That was, was a challenge. It was demonstrated by our financial performance at the beginning, you know, for the first two years. It is very tough. It's hard to sleep at night when we see our cash flow, us being bootstrapped, going down. Difficult to explain to investors what the hell we are doing mm-hmm. until there are real solutions being put out. Now, with that said, the difficulties that you get with regards to IoT and, for example, deploying a AMI, Advanced Metering Infrastructure Network, are multiple. You have technology one and you have some that are completely just commercial related. On the technology side is the level of expectations that you get from a utility is much higher than what you would get from DIY people. We're not talking about connected beehives there. We're not talking about, you know, Arduino, a weather station that I can put on my own. We're talking about the grid of a whole island of the whole city. So in a nutshell, those projects have SLAs, Mm. right? So you have to deliver 95%, 99% of the meter connected at any given point in time, for example. Mm. So that is very easy to say, very hard to do. You can deploy a network for 80%, maybe 90%, but the reality is that you will have those devices, one person here, 3% there, that will be in a bunker behind metal doors, in the middle of the staircases, at level B2 in a parking lot. So this is basically the idea of the technical challenges you get. It's almost mission-critical network, right? If you don't have a power consumption, then your grid is not in good shape and you'll have a lot of phone calls from people and industries. So it makes sense, you know, for those end customers, those utilities to have those high level of expectation. But cost then, commercial, and, you know, is also coming into play. So let me put it like this. At the beginning of IoT, Mm. all you have is just 4G, 2G, 3G stuff, right? So let's say you have a a parking spot. You want to put a parking sensor. Is my car there or not? So you have a device. You put a SIM card on it. And most likely it will use 4G because that's what everybody had. But it's kind of overkill. 
right? You're using a 4G card, a SIM card that I could use to serve the web just to tell me if there's a car in my parking spot. Mm. That's overkill. That was the beginning of what was called machine-to-machine communication. So that's not good enough, which means it will never scale because it's not a good fit. It's too expensive. It is overkill. So the challenge is now is to, you want to go high volume for millions of power meters in Taiwan, for example, but with the right technology that needs to work for 99% of the cases in a cost that is not you know, unbearable. Mm. That's why you have to come up with some new technologies to do this, knowing that you have to intersect you know, which technologies are fitting, what are the corner cases, and how do you make sure that you can survive making money by doing this for years to come. The case in point is, your telecom operator for your phone doesn't give you SLA. You know, you're not going to give him a fine. You're not going to get a discount if you don't have coverage where you're going. Mm. But if you go into the industrial field, if the power meters that we have under responsibility to connect are not connected, then we'll have to pay a fine to type power. Makes sense, right? Right. So those are the real challenges. In a nutshell, the way you see this is the manifestation is you have seen in the world of IoT, tons of POCs, pilots, stuff like that. It's all cool. It's all great. But you only hear about pilots. You seldom hear about the real big large scale deployments. There's really two main applications that for which you start to hear this. It's meters and to some extent logistics like fleet management and tracking. Oh, that's an interesting point. So you're saying that IoT as a category, as we see today, is generally meters and logistics? Well, of course, it's not only that, but we have been spending a couple of years to scan the market. You know, we're a startup. We've got to find some place to focus on, right? We want to make life easy for us. So we go after what are the sweet spots in the market. And from that perspective, it was super useful for us to come up with a technology and then share it with many industries and markets. So for the first years of Ubic, we shared our technology. It's called Weightless, Low Power Wider Area Network. Weightless like is very lightweight. The idea was that we share this for implementations and pilots in different fields. Maritime, security, satellite, farming, industrial automation, logistics, weather, and so on and so forth. It was really interesting for us to get a feeling about what are sweet market spots. Those market spots where we don't think it's worth for us to contribute, or it might not be a really good business, and which ones will be the juiciest. So our reading on this is pretty much that now, and in the short to midterm, the major applications you will see are metering related to energy or overall utilities, and then logistics. Logistics meaning where's my stuff, which includes farmers, for example, or fleet management. Why do you think some industries are more ideal for IoT? What do you think it is about logistics or metering that makes IoT work for them? I will give you the view of a supplier. We are not the end guys. We will provide innovations, technologies that then are being used by those particular entities or industrials. In my view, those are totally different markets. At the very beginning, we looked at connected home back in 2014. Makes complete sense, right? You connect all your devices at home, your light bulbs, your spray hose in your garden and everything in between. Yeah, yeah. Makes total sense. That's a very specific market. Wearables, also another market. Why? Because different technologies. And we decided from that perspective, if you say, I want to look at, let's say, wearable stuff, you want to look at home or you want to look at industrial, our conclusion was that we had more chances for us to contribute something new and something that would bear fruits in time before we running out of money was industrial. 
That was our core. That was based on timing. 2014, a lot of already standards were being launched already for connected home. We tried a little bit and we felt it's not a right time for us for that. So I guess here the key is in the world of startup, timing is super important. And the issue is that the complication is you don't control the timing of a market. Right. And you see people waiting and waiting. I remember in the late 90s, you know, Apple was not doing so well overall as a company. Journalists were challenging and they were asking Steve Jobs, what are you doing? And he said, I'm just looking, I'm waiting for the next big thing. And then you know what happened. So I think luck and timing are super important in that process. If we theorize this a little bit beyond IoT, I guess the process of innovation and startup is a little bit like a statistics. You got to take those things into account. Just look at your odds and then go for something. So the conclusion, the takeaway that we had this applied to IoT, we look at the market, we try to sample a few sweet spots, and then we sample those opportunities. Think of it as a poker table. The cards are drawn. You have your hands. Do you play? Do you fold? And actually, what Ubik was really good at is folding. Mm. No, we're not going to do that. No, we're not going to do that. No, we're not going to do that. And then one time we have good hands, we see the cards are there, there's opportunity, then we go for that. And that's super hard because when you're a startup and you're starved and everybody working in the startup just wants to say yes to customers. That's what we are supposed to. Mm. But if you want to do a good business, actually, we need to learn how to say no, not yet, and time those things. It's kind of a no that serves the ability to do, to say many more yeses down the road. I like that idea between there's a technology and a time. How can you tell, though, when you're kind of out there day-to-day basis speaking with individual companies or maybe potential suppliers or people who might think they know something? And like, how do you judge that between kind of just their individual bias or actually is that really something happening? I guess that's the secret sauce of any industries. I guess I can only summarize it in a way that in the sake of Ubik, I think what Ubik has been really good at is uh, innovation and guts. In big companies that I've worked before, you don't really have room for guts or feeling. Everything is very business plan, fits the market. If it's a big company, if it operates less than $50 million, it's just not even worth speaking about. For startups and for what the Ubik management guys have been really good at it is to look at this in a very serene, cold-headed way and just have very well articulated and thorough statements based on what is the vision of those markets. Mm. Um, for that, the key here is you're not the only one in the market. So how can you make a better call than the people who've been doing this for 30 years? Because nowadays, everybody's been already doing stuff, right? Yeah. So the only way here actually is one, work like crazy, eat, drink, read so much material to catch up. So to your point earlier, Ubik, we were not energy guys. So in our DNA, we're telecom guys. So we like, you know, wireless protocols, chipsets, modules, physical uh, layers and all those kinds of stuff, which is not necessarily related to basically the market vertical of energy, for example. So to your point, we had a ramp. We had to grow very quickly. Let's say when we had to serve type R, we had to grow from a technology company doing telecom into an energy solution company. And for that, you just have to learn as quick as you can. There's no way around that, which means spending your nights and weekends, learning this a lot, gathering and digesting and just picking those things up very quickly. Then you can make an educated guess about what you think things are going to look like and come up with your own innovative ideas to intersect that. So you talked a little bit about infrastructure. You mentioned a little bit about 4G overkill, right? 
What do you think prevents a telecom like Zhonghua Telecom from just coming to Taipei and say, "Hey, look, we have all the base stations already. We have a bunch of you know five G. We have all this fancy stuff. We have people monitoring and like what prevents them from saying, 'Oh, we're just going to take your lunch.'" You are hitting it on the nail. So what you just mentioned is a summary of the situation of IoT for the past ten years. So ten years ago, you basically have you know cellular networks. They're not made for Devices, they're made for people, right?、Mm. Then you have、uh, new guys, and they come up with a new idea and say, "Hey, everybody's doing three, four, five G. It's、uh, faster speeds, lower latencies, but it's not going to solve metering or environmental sensors or little trackers."、Mm. So they come up with their own solutions. This is actually called low-power wide area network, which were a couple of technologies that do not use SIM cards, so they are not cellular technologies. So they are not、uh, part of the overall ecosystem that all the telecom operators are doing. And the idea was revolutionary. It was, you know what? I'm not going to work with telecom operators for that. I'm going to make my own technologies, in generally speaking, and then I'm going to allow people to use the same bands that are free to use in most countries of the world. Like your Wi-Fi is a free band. You don't pay a license for that. Right. Your remote for your parking is using an unlicensed band as well. So the idea was let's use those unlicensed free bands. But to connect additional devices like that, that is in itself a revolution. These are small and big startups doing this. Now the reality check is that if you're doing stuff for fun, maybe it's good, and it's always about the product to market fit, the technology compared to that application. If you're doing like almost mission critical stuff, you have to look at ten, fifteen, twenty year time frame in the future. So I'll tell you, people will ask your startups, "Where are you going to be in five years? You want me to buy your solution? I'm going to be using for twenty years. You guys are brand new, right?" Yeah. So it's true. Of course, the telecom builders will say, "Well, you know, we're going after a higher data rate because it's higher value." But now we see guys are going after this massive. It was perceived as massive amount of devices out there.、Mm-hmm. The value is lower. But there's tons of them. We should do something about that. So from low power wide area network. Technologies now, the telecom world basically has done a pretty smart move, which is do an upgrade of their existing 4G network,、mm. but fine-tuned to be able to serve those connected devices. Yeah. So now, as of today, I guess the world is a better place because you have both. You can always choose and either take one or the other. Example: If telecom operator has already deployed, by all means, I guess it makes a lot of sense. The network is already there. You deploy an upgrade on the base stations, then you have a network. You don't need to deploy a dedicated infrastructure. Right. That makes sense. I'll finish on this topic on the idea that again, one size does not fit all. So most likely, what's going to happen is for a given project, you will have a hybrid or multi-model architecture.、Mm. In a way where it makes sense, by all means, use something that is already there. But where it's not the best, then you can use those additional technologies as a complementary. Or vice versa. So you talk about Zhonghua Dianxin, you talk about telecom operators. For the type of project, there are competitors. Right. So we're a startup. I'll tell you when we step up for this tender, we're the only startup who ends up as part of the last five qualified companies. Wow. The other four are the biggest telecom operators of Taiwan or biggest SIs of Taiwan. Of course, it makes sense for operator to be doing this.、Mm. And if you look at the market worldwide, it's always utilities either doing joint venture with telecom operator or having their own network. Right. So you provide kind of like a hardware solution, right? Like you actually sell part of your solution hardware. What has been sort of benefits of being in Taiwan for sourcing, designing, and making that hardware? 
there's two aspects to this. One is, uh, let's say, our biggest customer to date in Taiwan is Thai Power. Mm. By the way, this Thai Power project is to connect up to 6 million power meters by the end of the decade. That is a real huge project. It is for sure the biggest IoT project of the decade in Taiwan. Yeah. So, you know, we work very hard to be able to be part of that. This particular project is quite sensitive. You're talking, uh, you know, energy independence and distribution grid. So all the power meters in that tender are sourced from Taiwanese companies. I think as part of requirements, most of the components and devices that we have to provide have to be, you know, not from foreigner entities. I think there's to some extent kind of a geopolitical aspect to this, whether it's in Taiwan or anywhere in the world, right? Right. Also, an aspect to this is when your utility of such and such place, why would you give money to another country's company? Right. Those are large projects. And my personal take on this is whether people say it or not, it is part of the equation, right? I mean, it is a local business. So that's another perspective for us in the world of IoT. You're not going to sell one solution on the other side of the planet just out of nowhere. Like you may do this for an app, but you may not be able to do that for those industrial IoT stuff. So that's specific to Taiwan. Now, when we do sell at Ubic stuff outside of Taiwan, because we don't only do stuff in Taiwan, we actually leverage the idea that in Taiwan, you have a very strong and vibrant ecosystem for semiconductor, for telecommunications, for operations and excellence of operations, right? So it might not be the absolute cheapest place to make stuff, but for sure it is pretty down good still, right? Especially if you compare to guys in Europe, for example. So that's part of the good things. Uh, you touch up a little bit on one thing. I, I might just want to elaborate a little bit about two challenges we see for Taiwan. Mm. My personal view on this is you know, when we do startups, I've been here for eight years now, I see there's two difficulties you get. One is innovation. My view is that since the 90s, you know, Taiwan has been successful by doing what they are told. Basically, you know, somebody would say, okay, here's the specs, do this for me. And I guess to some extent, that's great, that's awesome, and create a lot of wealth, you know, in the 90s. But I think nowadays, not only that, you've got to be able to step up and come up with something new, which is, by the way, what we wanted to do at Ubic. Not just do like everyone, but do something specific, which means innovation. You got to find a way to have a very strong thinking about what you want to provide that is not there yet, right? Mm -hmm. Then promote it to customers, not just wait for people to send you a PO. The second thing is international business, development and marketing. Taiwan's a small place. When I moved first here, my father thought I was in Thailand, <laughs> right? Now everybody knows about Taiwan for the past few years. That's another story. Still. It's a challenge for you to promote your products and solutions. First, Taiwan is a small market. We are lucky to basically have as a customer probably the biggest IoT customer we could get in Taiwan. So that's awesome. It's a lot of work, but that's good for us. In a way, what we are doing is we are using Taiwan market, domestic market as a lab. We innovate, we quickly learn, and we create solutions out of those technology innovations that we basically have fostered in Taiwan. Then we got a story to tell, and then we share that story to Japan, to US, to Europe, and say, okay, this is the solution. This is the value. And oh, by the way, it's not just me telling you, this is what we have implemented. Mm -hmm. So applied to metering, we're using a main technology called Weightless Low Power Wide Area Network. We use this for 95% of the deployment for the type power power meters. That technology that we created is really strong for dense urban environment. Mm -hmm which, by the way, is what Taiwan is. When you have power meters, one of the densest places in the world. 
Some of uh, people live in the countryside and they have a solar installation on top of their home and that is not a dense area. In that case, we could still use our usual technology, but it's more elegant. It is more cost-efficient for us to use another technology that would be a better fit. And the beauty, the narrow-mindedness of Taipower was that when we get qualified with our technology for that tender, you have to use at least 80% of your qualified technology for this. Right. But the rest, Taipower has thought, well, one technology may not be always the best for 100% of all the cases. Let's just cut it 80-20, right? But for what we are doing, actually about 5% of our deployment is using cellular IoT. Mm. So it's basically the upgrade, update of 4G, but applied not for people's smartphones, but for objects. It's called RTEM or RTKTEM. It's called NB-IoT. Mm. So this is how we are walking the talk of not only forcing one technology, but being multimodal right. to have a hybrid network. And I think the beauty of this at the end of the day is that you create a solution that is like a perfume. You make a mix. Where do you think the industry or the category of guess, of IoT going and how is Ubik uh, going to play? Like what role will Ubik play in that future? Like you mentioned something about logistics, for instance, and you haven't talked to logistics at all. Yes. So I think there's two aspects to this. One is on the technology side to make the link is now at Ubik, we have validated with technology and commercially to use weightless LP1, low power wide area network, as well as a hybrid network with a cellular IoT, LTM and MBIoT. So now we have this toolbox. With that toolbox, then indeed we can then serve other markets, not just energy. Energy is huge, it's great, right? Our model now is twofold. The first model is we would basically uh, reply to tenders like the type power tender and also are there in other countries that have those kinds of requirements. And mostly we will work on our strength, which is to use weightless low power wide area network, which is demonstrated in Taiwan. So that's one model. We basically provide a total solution. We know where we're really strong at, but we don't only use one technology. We can do a little mix. That's model number one. Model number two is actually slightly different. It's another contribution that we have made. We have innovated a new solution, which is cellular IoT base stations. So everybody knows base stations. Everybody has seen them. It is 4G, 5G, blah, 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 etc. And they're usually used for broadband. So we actually, case in point, we felt, well, there's a spots in the markets where you don't need a broadband base station. All you need is a narrow band base station for those IoT applications. Mm. So that's why we contributed or created as a product. So that is basically our model number two. And in this sense, actually, the model for us is more like you could sense a little bit like what a Nokia or Ericsson would do. We provide base stations for telecom operators or also industrials to install. So here, what I think is kind of the revolution is making the synthesis of everything that's been happening in the industry for the past 10 years, which is the LP1 guys making something new, non-cellular, the telecom world reacting to this, making adaptations of their technologies using cellular. And now for us, you know, we just observe all of this, digest it, pick it up. And now we provide to the industry both of that or a synthesis of this. Mm. The manifestation of this is when we provide this small cell, so it is a small base station. It's smaller, but it's like a base station, except it only focuses on those IoT projects. Can be energy, can be logistics, can be having a private network in your factory, in your farm. This is where we think there is a lot of room because we did not see people actually doing this. It's funny in a way. It looks like people at the end of the day get conditioned about only looking as far as what the industry is already serving them. 
Right. We basically, I'll put it like this is, when you hear about cellular IoT, so basically it's a telecom stuff, it's a telecom standards, right? Until now, you could only basically go to your telecom operator and ask for them to install the base station, which costs a lot of money. But if it's only for a few power meters or a few logistics devices, chances are there's no ROI for that. Right. So what we decided is, why is it only like this? Why should an industrial, to be general, not just energy stuff, why should industrial always go to its telecom operator and beg for coverage? Right. Why shouldn't I be, in general, able to install my own base station, just like what I'm doing for Wi-Fi? I'm not saying I'm using Wi-Fi because Wi-Fi is doing something specific, but for our applications, it's not the right technology. Interferences, range, power consumption, that's not necessarily the way, right? When we're talking meters or logistics for 20 kilometers around, you're not going to use Wi-Fi. You're not going to use Bluetooth. So you needed some other technology. So cellular IoT is it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you should not use telecom operators anymore. What I'm saying is that we found that we could contribute by providing additional tools in anybody's toolboxes. So you can use a telecom operator when it makes sense. They already have the network deployed. But if you are a factory in a fjord in Norway, chances are you don't have coverage. Why can't you just put your own base station there and run your own network? So what I'm introducing here is the concept of private networks, which actually has become a very hot topic on top of all the evolutions of the standards in the market that we covered today. So it's about private networks, private, but also hybrid. So you could make your own stuff, like you have your own Wi-Fi network, but you can also link it. So you can basically roam on the network of the local telecom operator. So then if you talk about logistics, that's where I'm going at. Logistics means it moves. So if I have a power meters, it's not moving. If it's moving, there's a problem. So logistics now is a truck, is a tractor, is, you know, fruits, baskets, stuff like that. They are moving. If they are moving, they might not always be covered by whatever network it is. So you want to find a technology that can actually provide that coverage. So if my stuff is moving in the countryside of France, then by all means use a public network, right? I'm not going to cover the, myself in the countryside of France. But if I have two factories at two spots, chances are high I want to make sure I have really good coverage in my factory. So that's the idea of private network. And by the way, this is true for 5G as well. It's just different applications. Mm. 5G is going to be like super crazy data rate and very intense latency stuff, right? But it's still the same idea, private networks. Wow. Do you have anything else that maybe I haven't covered you want to say or anything you would like to plug? There's something I like to share with regards to Ubik is... Actually, at Ubik, we kind of wanted to show that if you take a team of diverse people, if you take ambition and innovation spirit, then we kind of want to make a proof that, yeah, maybe you can make it big in Taiwan or internationally if you actually create a team that is doing this. So, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, for us, Thai Power, timing has been interesting, but uh, all of those technology challenges are true everywhere. So it is not a romantic, rosy thing to do a startup in deep hard tech. We make hardware, we make a software that runs on it. In many cases, we had to do all of this on our own. So I just want to make a call to anybody who wants to have an impact that the idea is if you get a team with those characteristics, we want to show that, yeah, it's possible. There's luck, there's timing, there's tons of hard work. Then it's beyond fulfilling that we can do something, right? For what we're doing with Tire Power, we can see our products in the streets of Taiwan. That's very interesting. So it's not just about telecommunications and all the geeky stuff about stands and telecom. It's affecting people's lives. You know, you're talking about renewables, you're talking about power consumption. 
this is applied to things that are, that are about to have an impact. In nowadays, there's a strong focus on this. So I just want to call out to anybody like-minded to either, you know, compare notes or share our resources to try and have a better impact on our own ecosystems and our communities. Thank you so much. And thank you for coming on to the Startup Island podcast. Thanks a lot. 